people here, and I know that's where your heart is. You guys are such a gift and such a blessing. So today we're going to be in Joshua 3, 2 through 14. Joshua 3, 2 through 14. Joshua started early the next morning and left the Acacia Grove with the Israelites. They went as far as the Jordan and stayed there before the crossing. After three days, the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, carried by the Levitical priest, you must break camp and follow it. But keep a distance, about a thousand yards between yourself and the ark. Don't go near it so that you can see the way to go. You haven't traveled this way before. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. Then he said to the priests, take the ark of the covenant and go ahead of the people, so that they carried the ark of the covenant and went ahead of them. The Lord spoke to Joshua. Today I told you to begin, exalt you in the sight of Israel so that they will know that I will be with you just as I was with Moses. Command the priest carrying the ark of the covenant when you reach the edge of the waters, stand in the Jordan. Then Joshua told the Israelites, come closer and listen to the words of the Lord your God. He said, you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly dispose before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Prizites, the Gurites, the Amorites, and the Jesuits. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all of the earth goes ahead of you into the Jordan, now choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe. And when the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all earth, come to rest in the Jordan of waters, and it will be cut off. The waters flowing downstream will stand up in a mass. So when the people broke camp and they crossed the Jordan, the priests carried the ark of the covenant ahead of the people. And now the Jordan overflows in its banks throughout the harvest season. But as soon as the priests carrying the ark reached Jordan, their feet touched the water at its edge. And the water flowing downstream stood still, rising up the mass, extended as far as Adam and the city of Zarathon. The water flowing downstream into the Dead Sea was completely cut off, and the people crossed opposite Jericho. The priests carrying the ark of the Lord's covenant stood firmly on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all of Israel crossed the dry ground until the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word, we just pray, Lord, soften our hearts, open our eyes, unplug our ears, Father. Lord, let your Holy Spirit minister each one of us, Lord, your living, breathing word. We love you in your name. Amen. So here is kind of the frame of this. You guys remember the two spies returned from Jericho, having following Joshua's orders to check out the land. And remember, Joshua took over for Moses when Moses died. And now he is the one to be able to carry the Israelites into the promised land. They had escaped uh, discovery, thanks because of Rahab, the two spies. 
And now they give the report to General Joshua. Their hearts were bursting as these words were said in Joshua 2.24. The Lord has handed over the entire land to us. Everyone who lives in it are also panicking because of us. So this was amazing news for Joshua, who had been waiting. Immediately dispatched runners throughout the camp of Israel. He announced the first thing in the morning that they would break camp and head for the Jordan River. They would finally come to an entry point of the Promised Land. And in chapter 1, in chapter 3, the events talk. They started the next morning. They got up and left Acacia Grove. And all the Israelites, now this was a big team, a huge team. Now it was only a few miles over smooth ground and and historians believe that they might have been able to move this large group of people in a day. So assuming that, the sun had risen the next morning and I'm sure there was buzz among all the Israelites. This is the day that we stand at the brink, they We're probably thinking of a dream that has come to our place and our forefathers, and it's only time, and we will obey this time. And as they approached the river of Jordan, formed a barrier along this long real estate, they saw by the light of day they were confused and dreadful. There's a simple verse in verse 15 that describes it this way. The Jordan overflows its banks throughout the harvest season. Now see, the Jordan River normally is a very gentle river. But now it is raising and it's raised to flood stage. And this really rings to me because Cindy and I for nine years lived on the Mississippi River during its floods. It is said the Jordan, when it hits this time of year and it hits the flood season, it can move as fast as 40 miles per hour. What's more, it surrounds the river. It's packed with tangled bush and stumps and trees. Matter of fact, Jeremiah the prophet describes it this way. He said, it's not the river so much as the jungle that is difficult to cross. So for us, when flood stage hit the Mississippi, and you own a boat, which I did, you don't go out in the river for another month. Because the stumps and the debris and the things in it are just so hellacious, it could rip the hole out of your boat. And this is what the Israelites are facing. This is what Joshua and his team are facing at this point. So here's the scene. It's swollen. It's a mile across at where they're going to cross. And the depth is somewhere 3 foot to 12 foot. And where we lived on the Mississippi, it was almost a mile across. And it's a long, long way, especially when that water's moving. Covered by a thicket. And they were greeted. And here are multiple, hundreds of thousands have pitched their tent now alongside the Jordan. Now the Bible tells us they spent three days. And they're watching this passing river eroding their confidence of God's promise. They, they are being pounded into what some people would call reality. Maybe the strong can uh, brave the flood, but here may be some of their fears in this huge thing. What about the infants that are with them? What about the sickly or the elderly that are part of the village? Not to mention all their possessions and the animals and the things that are with them. In an instant, the crowd started to murmur, no in their hearts. 
So here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned about me and maybe you and maybe churches. There are personal Jordans that feel so permanent and powerful. And it just makes us feel like we don't want to cross them. Our lives feel stalled or stuck, and we're on the wrong side of God's promises sometimes. We read about abundant life, but sometimes we feel like we just can't make it out of the forest. Churches can feel that way. They feel stalemated at times. The promises that they want to do great for God, but they're blocked by all kinds of barriers. But here's the thing that we're going to see unfold in history here. God turns no way into a highway in this promise. We will walk by sight or by faith. Do we really believe that God can handle the impossible? And this is what the Israelites are faced with in Joshua 3. What is impossible with men is possible with God. God is about to reveal some steps in here. He's going to move them from grounded on the seizure to grateful really quick here. The experiences and the decisions reported in this is a breakthrough. But what is cool for me is what happens here, because this has been a long trip, there is a whole new generation of Israelites that need to see the promises of God, just like us today. A whole new generation sitting in camp that are looking at the, the, their leadership on how the decisions can be made here. And sometimes as we stand at the brink of God's size future and consider the obstacles, we feel like we're facing impossible stance. Um, and we look at it as uncrossable. But in this passage, there are some things that come out on here. And this is what I kind of cling to. This is why uh, when I, it's my go-to chapter sometimes when I'm feeling like, man, Lord, show me, show me what to do here. Because he will take you from stuck to triumphant. Number one, in Joshua 3, 2 through 4, after three days with the officers through the camp, he commanded the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God carried by the Levitical priest, you must break camp and follow. Why did he give this commandment to him? Why did he give this commandment? What's the big deal? What's inside this Ark anyway? What is the big thing that motivates them? Well, number one, inside the Ark of the Covenant was the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments. And it was a sign to Israel when they looked at the Ark of God's relationship with them. The second thing that's inside this Ark is a pot of manna when they were starving and the manna was delivered. And it was to remind them that the gracious provisions according to Exodus that God supplied them for 40 years. That's what's riding in this ark. The other thing which is amazing to me is Aaron's rod. If you remember Aaron's rod, it was a dead, dried-out stick. And miraculously, it grew leaves and almonds to validate the power of God. God can use anything he will to accomplish, even to the smallest detail according to Numbers. Three powerful historical reminders. Three witnesses to God's love, his will, his provision, his power. And the ark was the monument to God's faithfulness. It was so much, but that's not, it was what was on top of it too. 
On top of it, according to Exodus 25, was called the mercy seat. It was a seat where they had the two cherubim statues knelt before it. And it was to remind them when they saw the ark that God is enthroned upon the throne. God showed up. It was to remind them that God showed up for them. The ark was the Old Testament of what we see today. Emmanuel, God with us. That was the reminder for them. This chest led the way. It meant that God was out in front of them. The first steps. And they had to pursue his, pursue his presence. Now, this procedure that it has to be a thousand yards, and I love this, this part of it. Why would you think it would have to be a thousand yards in front of them all? Imagine if you let everybody run up to the ark. This mass of people could not see that ark from a distance. It was to be out in front of them so everybody could see God in front of them is going to lead them. That it's supposed to be able to. And the reason is clear that if you crowd too closely, only a handful would be able to see it. Now this picture, this scene of Israel all sloping along the side of the Jordan River and a thousand yards from them is this powerful reminder. Then the priests would bear the rods on their shoulders and they would start to stride the water of Jordan. God had intended Israel to breach the Jordan with him, but it could only happen if they focused on him. It could only happen centuries later, the true ark of God among the living Emmanuel. Now here's the part I love. The living Emmanuel that we have today, the ark contained the Ten Commandments. Jesus fulfilled it. The ark uh, had the manna with God who fed them. Jesus is the bread of life. Isn't that an amazing bridge there for us? The ark that held the symbol of bringing life from death with that stick. Jesus is alive from dead and seated at the right hand of the Father. We have our ark. And Hebrew 2 tells us to keep our eyes on Jesus, the perfecter of our faith, entering the future moment by moment. He challenges us constantly. But instead, sometimes we look at the Jordan with words like cancer, creditors, crisis, and we conclude that we're stuck. We conclude that we've been cut off from the abundance of God. And we, the change that is absolutely better, because sometimes I see people at this point, they go like, I'm just throwing in the towel. I'm going to quit. I'm stuck on that Jordan. And, and this is just my lot of life. I'm just going to live with it. But when you look at the bottom line, you assess the size of your plans, and you believe you believe that there's no human way across, just like these Israelites. And you're facing the impossible, just like Peter when he had to walk on the water. The minute he took his eyes off of Jesus, what happened? So when we focus, like the Israelites are going to do here in a moment, there's some key things that he leads us and that we will follow. In this passage, Joshua told his people, number one, to stay focused, they consecrate themselves because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. They had to consecrate themselves. So what does that mean? The Hebrew word actually means they had to prepare, to dedicate, to be hallowed, to be holy, to be separate and set apart. 
He's challenging them to a personal repentance. A personal repentance that they are able to be, have those things out of the way. And one of the primary reasons that uh, things were blocked in Israel's life at times is because they often were blocked because of the sin. Isaiah the prophet wrote this. Indeed, the Lord's hand is too short to save, his ear too deaf to hear, but your iniquities have built barriers between you and your Lord, and your sins have made him hide his face from you so that he does not listen. It has always been amazing to me how one person's iniquities sometimes can affect a whole church. Big churches, especially when you see it among ministry and staffs. So sometimes later, if you guys remember history, and it was when they entered into Canaan, they entered into the promised land, it took one man, one man that caused Israel, his sin, caused Israel a lot of grief and a lot of loss. So on the eve of one of the greatest days in history for Israel, they were commanded to be right with God. They were commanded to examine their life and confess and forsake things and devote themselves wholly to the Lord. But the other part of consecrate, this word, it also means putting oneself on spiritual alert to see God at work. Consecration is involved, and you see it in some of the traditions of the Old Testament, washing your clothes, abstaining from certain things, uh, changing your work schedules and other things. This was a challenge deliberately issued to take us out of our normal circumstances of life in order to be spiritually alert to God. And I think one of the greatest things that keep us from doing that is our busyness today. And here he is challenging, one, you know what, be in relationship, repent, connect to God, two, set aside time to be with him. That's what he's telling Israel to do. Consecration means I will set aside my typical and put my spirit ready to see God is working around me, that I can join with him, that I can be a part with him. So to cross the Jordan, to cross those challenges, first of all, we fix, we gaze at Jesus, sensing his moments, and follow, and we set ourselves apart from sin and from being, and being constantly on alert to be connected him so we can see the Lord around us. But then there's one more thing this passage talks about when we're crossing a challenge. It says you step out and you stand still. Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel so that you will know that you are uh, with you just as I was with Moses. Command the priest to carry the Ark of the Covenant and when they reach the edge of the water, stand in the Jordan. Verse 13, and when the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord came to rest, the Jordan waters, the waters will be cut off and the water flowing downstream will stand up in mass. So the moment of truth came for Israel. They're carrying this thing and the Lord commanded them to step in the water and he called for them to get our feet wet. So sometimes in our most challenging time, when we are standing at our personal Jordans, God is calling us to get our feet wet, to move forward, to do those things. Faith moves you in a way, but here's the thing, it's God's timing. It's God's timing. In the moment that we act, 
If we don't, we'll never cross our personal Jordans. We'll never get across them at all. To understand this, we have to, have to focus on the Lord is essential. Consecrating ourselves is vital. But we'll never cross until we step out. Our eyes and our hearts have to be there. And if we don't move our feet, we will never meet the challenge. We must commit ourselves, our time, our energy in those things. And I want you to notice a, a real important element in this true act of faith. They stepped out, but what else did they do? In verse 8, they stood. They stood there. Why? They were waiting on God's power. They were waiting on God's power. And in all their activity, they wanted to maintain, God wanted to maintain their dependence on Him. They were acknowledging it wasn't their work because they marched across the Jordan. It was God and God alone that did this. They stepped out and they stood. They stood there. Now, I want you, and you guys got to realize, I got this crazy imagination. And so I was walling around with this last night. Here they are near this bank, thundering Jordan. They got armed warriors at the forefront with shields next to them. Trembling, aging men, shepherds with their shafts, wide-eyed mothers with helpless babies. Some who might even been born on that day. Their flocks, their possessions. All the people's eyes were on the ark. Were on God. All the people's eyes, they cling to their heart. They were spiritually aware. They were watching what only God could do. And they had to take a step. And now they're standing still and they heard this great hush. Then they noticed the water receded. It was dropping fast. Matter of fact, historians believe it was 19 miles upstream. The waters mound in a crystal heap. The riverbed was dry, and then they're on their way. The thunder was replaced of a river by the people's feet marching on dry land, which extended a mile or more with all the Israelites. So stupendous for me to even picture that. This, but he, I want you to hear how Psalms describes this event. Psalms 114 describes this. The sea looked like it fled and the Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams and the hills like lambs. Why was it? Sea that you fled, Jordan that you turned back, mountains that you skipped like rams and hills and lambs? Here is the answer. Tremble, earth, at the presence of the Lord and the presence of the God of Jacob. So for me, when I look at this and I look at this as this joy family, I see God can do what only God can do in this church, in our, each of our lives. But we have to cross over sometimes impossible situations repeatedly. Jordan may reach in front of each of us, and the challenges may be too much for us personally. But we believe that we have a God that nothing is too difficult, just like them. We must focus our souls on Christ and follow him. 
we must cast out the things that are in our way, any junk, any stuff, and, and separate us from them. We must be ready to move to do his work. And we must always, always be mindful that anything that's going to last, anything that is going to last, it is from the work of the Lord. Amen? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, help us to be people that are consecrated, Father, that we are constantly in relationship with you, looking at areas that separate us from you, Father. Lord, let us be people that are on spiritual alert, Father. Lord, let us be people that are willing to step out and stand, Father. And let us be people that focus on you. Lord, we love you. We lo- and Lord, we thank you. And we want this church to be able to cross a Jordan. And the only thing that we can ever point to, it is by you. And every person here today, Father, that may be at a point, whether it's finances, whether it's family, Lord, I pray right now that they're able to be with you, focus on you, set a time with you, Father. Give them the strength and the wisdom to step out and to stand and let you do the work. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you.